You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. I'm Kyler Bingham, and you're listening to the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. On today's show, we have a really cool guest. I was very excited uh, that I was able to get him on. He is Howard Parr, and his latest novel, Top Rankin, comes out today, May 11th. It's a punk ska noir novel released on Rare Bird uh, Books. Really, really cool book, unique, uh, a page turner. If you like noir, you're going to love it. If you if you like punk ska music from early 80s, you're going to love it. It's just a great book all around. It's his second novel. His first one came out 2015, Once Upon a Time in L.A. Now, Howard's career, um, other than writing, is out like it's so impressive i mean i get we could have went on and on and on um and i hopefully we get to have him on again um but let me just give you i'm reading this from his website just a couple points of of interest that that struck me um he's born and raised in london and came out to los angeles and became involved in the music business initially he uh, worked as a club creator dj promoter worked with the iconic bands such as the specials the clash the english beat uh the cure i could go on and on there he also was vice president um media and artist relations at polygram records for a time um currently he he works as a music supervisor on films um pretty pretty cool films uh most recently you may um, have seen a beautiful day in the neighborhood the Tom Hanks movie where he plays Mr. Rogers. Howard um, was a music supervisor on that, as well as tons of other films. Uh, like I said, I could go on and on. Uh, super interesting guy. I had a great time talking to him. And I definitely recommend you pick up his new book, Top Rankin, out on Rarebird. I'll put links in the description here. Um, definitely check it out. It'll be worth your while. Okay, so without further ado, let's talk to Howard Parr. <laughs> So yeah, I'm here. With, I'm here with Howard Parr, and we're talking about his latest book, Top Rankin, um, which I just just finished up recently. Absolutely loved it, and um, it's uh, well, Howard. How would you describe it? So the the book says it's a, a ska noir, which is something very unique. Definitely, um, I'm kind of curious uh, how you got the concept for the book. I know reading through your bio, I, it kind of blew my mind how how many facets and avenues and different things you've been involved with in the music business over, over the years. It's a, uh, it's remarkable. I couldn't keep track. And it seems like you've had your, your fingers and everything to, you know, to great success as well. So um, I'm curious, this is your second book. So I'm curious what kind of got the ball rolling as far as wanting to um, take publishing on. Yeah. Um, well, the noir thing comes, I think, as much as anything, noir books and films as a kid are what really drew me to Los Angeles in the first place. And, you know, to an extent sort of kept me here. I got here to, you know, where there was a lot of the architecture was still just about, about to get torn apart in mm -hmm. LA. So I've got a fondness for that. And I realized, you know, and noir is my favorite genre. I was like pretty well rounded as a reader, as a kid and my teens, whatever, but um, noir is what I'm most drawn to. And it, it's so 
redolent in this city. And I think that the music business is such a fun place to sort of use the noir tech context simply because it's, it's all there. And mm -hmm. I was drawn to it to a degree. I think I had the original, the, the story for Once Upon a Time in, in LA in mind for some time. Um, but I also, at that point, I got a lot of experience in the music business. And as you said, you know, I'd started out doing clubs and management and um, was at a label for a decade. And at this point, I got a broad perspective on it. And I think what I've found to, sometimes it's like, you know, write what you want to read. And I, the, the most of the books that deal with music for the, largely from a band's point of view or their bios. Mm -hmm. And there hadn't been any, at least to my knowledge, books that really felt to me like they captured the sort of fun and all the sort of nefarious dealings of the music business. So mm -hmm. that was really the premise for the first one. And can, you know, to a degree in a different level, the second one is more of a street level book in terms of the individuals in it for the most part are not deeply entrenched in the music business. They're trying to sort of transition out mm -hmm. at the seventies in one piece and, uh, you know, make their way forward. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a great book. It's definitely a page turner. So I was like, I was, uh, it's, I was talking to another author recently and he, he just, he's putting out a, I guess you could consider a noir as well, kind of a thriller book. And, and we were just, talking about our mutual love for page turners and books that keep you up at night where you, sh you know, you should be going to bed, but you, you got to finish the chapter or you got to, you want to keep going. So I definitely had that feel with this book. And, and because, um, you know, a lot of the music that's mentioned, I love that music as well. So it was so cool to, you know, I was born in 81, so I missed oh, wow. a lot of that stuff, but it's, uh, yeah. it's really cool to read about it just because, um, and knowing your background, you're you're including all these uh, real people in the book as well. So it, it really gave you a fill, especially because you were you did run a club. You run that famous club. Um, it's inc it's incredible to kind of have the feel of it, almost the smell of what these places were like. Uh, so, yeah, just a just an incredible book. I encourage anyone who likes uh, I think it has a broad appeal, like if you love noir, great. But if you love you know specific types of music like ska and uh you, you go into reggae quite a bit um i think it's just a just an awesome unique book that um really cool that it came out yeah thank you yeah i mean look the page turn of things the ultimate compliment so trust me i'm buzzing from that and okay. <laughs> i think the idea was you know in a way i wanted it to be if you weren't around then I wanted it to be authentic. So you could feel like you were living in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I was really determined from the beginning to write it in the moment. So there's not like, you we're not looking back at 1980 with 40 years of perspective mm -hmm. and the parallels that you could draw if you spent a few minutes reflecting on it politically and otherwise, but I wanted it to be what it felt like, when you're not looking forward, you're at an age where you sort of feel immortal. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no little nods. There's no like, oh, how cute it used to be that it's just, we're here. Yeah. 
let's go out and have fun, cause trouble and survive it, you know? Yeah, no, it's incredible. I, I'm curious, I'd imagine, um, so the, the club that is in, in the book, that's the club that you you ran, that you that you started. Sure. Okay. Um, I'm just kind of curious about how, that happened in, in in real life like how did you how did you come to la what brought you here um and then how did you end up starting this iconic club um the i came to la in the midst of punk in london for three months and like just fell in love with being here and i've lived here ever since so um definitely things happened, you know, and it, it was a, look, it, it, it was a strange time in London because I loved London and the music, I'd already got the ticket on the old Freddie Laker Airways. It was the cheap way where kids could suddenly get to LA from London. As, and I wasn't the only one around that time. There was quite a flow of people kind of popping, popping over here for the first time. Um, but it was a brutal time in England. You know what I mean? There was, there was the, the horrendous conservative government there was you know mandatory power outages you know which weirdly california all these years later i'm like wait a minute, how did this get here now um, but you know there was also you know it was there was the ira letter bombs going out you know into people's offices and restaurants you know it was it was not it was a pretty bleak time there so to arrive here was just like uh, I don't know how to put it. You know, it was like you suddenly went to black and white to color. You know yeah. what I mean? It yeah. was, it was uh, very, very evocative. And I, but it, it was that sense of the history of LA that I really fell in love with. It wasn't really music from here per se at the time, to be honest. It mm -hmm. wasn't that at all, even though music was what drove me. You know? Right. Um, that's incredible. So you've been, you, you just came over and you've, <laughs> you stayed ever since. That's great. Um, I am, let's see, I'm, I am kind of curious about what you like noir specifically, like what books did you like to read as a kid? What kind what were um, you drawn to? Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting The my, I was sick home from school, maybe 10 or 11 years old. My dad was heading off to work the morning. My, you know, I was like, I need stuff. And, you know, I, I was a voracious reader from, mm -hmm. you know, as a little child, I was reading, you know, very, very young. And, but didn't have new library book, whatever reason at the time. And I'm like, I need stuff to read. And he gave me like some Raymond Chandler books. And um, there was, some other authors of the time that weren't strictly noir, but more adventurous. There was a guy called Edgar Wallace, if I remember correctly, who had these kind of like, they were noir but they were set in London. They had American gangsters in them, which was kind of evocative. Um, and uh, so it was really the Chandler thing, I think, that sort of, res as soon as I read him, I went digging, you know, and obviously the next step was Dashiell Hammett. And, um, you know, went from there. And, you know, I won't deny the fact that the films that I subsequently discovered related to it, you know, Double Indemnity, Big Sleep, you know, all the, all the sort of, a lot of the really obvious noirs initially because they were very available. You'd get, they were shown on English TV periodically and with no commercials. So you were seeing the films in a pretty 
pure format. And I found like I wasn't the only one by the point I was in my teens, other friends, like we would all watch these films. And, you know, I wasn't really making any correlations to suddenly needing to be in LA particularly. But as soon as I got here, um, it just felt like home to me, you know, from the beginning. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I am so currently you you are a, like you work on a lot of films you're a, you're a music supervisor yeah um so I, I'm kind of how, how did you get into that field I mean like you, you briefly mentioned you've you've really done pretty much like almost everything it seems like um in the music business on some level you've been involved with how did you um kind of find this avenue to work on uh, movie soundtracks I was working at Polygram Records, as is now Universal. Um, I've been there a number of years. And this was sort of mid, by this point, I'd been there throughout the 90s, but in the mid 90s, when independent films started kicking in, it was incredibly exciting to me. You know, certainly Pulp Fiction would have been a pretty galvanizing moment in the sense where I remember seeing that like the weekend it came out and going, <laughs> I knew all the music, you know what I mean? And I was like, wow, you can do this, you could, <laughs> it was so, it was just the light bulb went off. And I also was like a and different bands and worked with a lot of the English bands on the label. And it was a time where radio wasn't playing them much. So I set about trying to find opportunities for, to get my bands in independent film, match them up with independent filmmakers. And it sort of grew out from that, the person who was doing soundtracks at the label at the time, um, decided to leave LA, if I remember correctly. And so there was a sudden vacancy and I went to Ed Eckstein, who was president of Mercury at the time, my boss, and I, I still you're like, oh, I have a big debt for this one because we'd, Tim Booth from the band James was in LA. He was getting really, he was, he didn't live in LA, but he was curious about film too. So we got, uh, I try to keep this condensed to get to the point, but basically he came over, we set up meetings, we all, we went, met with different people, read a bunch of scripts. Most of them were like not exciting to us at all, but there was one by Greg Araki called Nowhere that we both called each other from this respect hotel. I was like, oh my God, this is it, right? And so we met with Greg and Tim was initially going to be in the film, but had to go back to England at the time for something that he couldn't put off. Um, so in the end, John Ritter, I think, uh, actually played the part of this evangelist in the movie. But if you ever check out the list, everyone in it that Greg cast was like all these young up and coming actors, no one had ever heard of them. You all, you would know the names. Yeah, so cool. You went through the cast list. And Ed went to see, I got Ed to watch Doom Generation, which I don't know if you've ever seen that, but mm. all those movies were at Sundance, by the way. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. That was my first trip to Sundance. Oh, cool. Was nowhere. And... It was extreme. And, and I've said to Ed long ago, and I was like, Ed, okay, this film's that, this one's gonna be this, we're gonna do this. And he gave me the money to do it. And I've always said, I don't think there's any other record company president before, after, uh, or to come that would have given anyone the money to do what I wanted to. But we got all these bands from Chemical Brothers and Radiohead to give us some release tracks and, you know, pieced it together with really in the scheme of things like a drop in the bucket of money. But at the time, it seemed like a lot to have, you know, mm -hmm. we just made everyone the same. And it started from there. I fell in love with working 
with directors and it made more sense to me to be on the supervision side because if you're out of label there's a tendency where you have to sort of jam your label songs into a movie and I couldn't I was like well this doesn't fit you know mm. but anyway I, I went out on my own and that was pretty much it here we are still love it and still doing it that's great yeah so you did um you did the Mr. Rogers movie that is, is fairly fairly recent yeah, um yeah. yeah so you've done a lot of like really incredible stuff that's um that's awesome i am curious i know i'm jumping around a lot but i'm just uh, yeah, uh, i'm kind of curious like um you briefly mentioned how like like when writing a book you're almost in a, in a sense you are in lockdown when you once you really zero in on it um and then and then we all went on lockdown to some to some degree um, I, I'm kind of curious about your, your writing process and, um, are you, are you, or do you write like continuously or do you just have, um, like an idea for a project, um, and, and then you go at it or is it something you kind of, um, do most days? Is that part of your, um, daily routine? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I mean, when I was starting and Denise Hamilton, who I've got to mention at least once and probably many more times in this, um, when I first met her and I talked to her when I was setting out the first one, and really, if, I think if you ask most professional writers, they write every day. Mm -hmm. I believe anyway, most of the people I asked did. And because of my sort of supervision stuff, it's a pretty wild world and you're you know I've got a responsibility obviously to the people who are paying me to do it so in truth the first one was written a lot on I would go to like Jamaica or somewhere for a week or so and just hole up at this little joint that had no internet and mm -hmm. write and I could I did big chunks of it that way which is not the right way to write by any stretch of the imagination but that was more or less how I did the first one until I got to the second draft and then I hunkered down and was more disciplined this one I realized again, I was back in that situation. I didn't, I gave myself a deadline, even though, though there was no deadline. I was, I wrote a chunk of it um, at the end of 2018 in Argentina, in Buenos Aires and came back and went, basically the lockdown was the weekends. I worked in the week and every Saturday and Sunday I would get up first thing, write eight, nine hours, cook dinner, go to bed, get up and write again Sunday. Mm -hmm. And that was the discipline. And it it worked great. I mean, I, I can only say it flew. And I think the writing that way for me, and I expect for anyone, honestly, it's going to fly much more rhythmically when you're writing at a pace. And the story sort of starts, you know, the characters as usual, which is the biggest dream of all. Yeah. I think I, I just could, if people said this to me without having experienced it, I'd be like a bit eye-rolly about mm -hmm. it. They really take over the characters, you know? Yeah. I, um, I read a quote by Ross Thomas, um, who's one of my favorite uh, authors. Um, and he said, and I believe it's true because even though he wrote a lot of books, there never seems to be a formula to them. Mm -hmm. He would set up a situation and bring all these characters in and let, let them sort of take it away which if you've never written, you're sort of like, oh yeah, right. But when you realize you can sort of, that characters do start to write themselves a bit, yeah. um, that's just the ultimate joy for me, you know, so. No, that's that's so true. It's like when they kind of like become a real um, person that you're almost channeling as you, as you write, it's a really, really cool experience. 
Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. The first one, I, I did. I know you're reading Once Upon a Time in LA. I yeah, I haven't, you, I haven't finished it yet. I haven't I won't finished tell it. Any points, but I'll just say that the character of Charlie mm-hmm. was supposed to be in one scene to sort of move a plot point along, and ended oh. up totally taken over. <laughs> so oh, <wow. laughs> it didn't really happen on this one so much. This one was pretty much as I'd imagined, but he definitely started taking over. So I got to find a way to bring him back in a book again. Cause I'm yeah. the guy. Oh, that's funny. Um, as far as like the, like the, you know, so the pandemic and I've, I've liked, um, you know, there's been, we've had to all had to adjust, you know, massively. And so I've talked to a lot of writers and, um, filmmakers too about how how's their how's the last year been like i know some writers said that uh like nothing really <laughs> changed for them because they're <clears throat> when they're working on stuff they're they're essentially isolated um and then other writers were, writers were like they had complete um writer's block they couldn't produce anything for quite several mm-hmm. months so i'm just kind of curious um what your experience was um, during the pandemic, are you working on something currently? And w- did it did it get in the way of the pandemic? Or um, um, n- look, uh, I am writing something. I've been doing side related writing aspects to do with the novel in another for another medium, and then I have been yeah, I'm I'm starting to play around with the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't find, look, it as I think it was probably harder for writers who are writing current day. Like if you're writing current day, how do you deal with that? I, I can imagine a myriad of things that might have got in the way had mm-hmm. I been doing that. Mm-hmm. But in truth, I'm not writing in modern day. So it doesn't really affect the writing process because it's not, I'm not trying to integrate it. Just like, do you integrate? I've seen, you know, a lot of people on all, you know, visual media and literary talking about that. Um, you know, do you include it? Do you ignore it? You know, mm-hmm. what are we going to think about? I mean, no one knows all these, there's no answer to that. So it might drive me crazy and I would understand that, but it doesn't really affect me in that sense. You uh-huh. know, um, like I said, I've already been locked down a year. So apart from <laughs> talking about not getting a holiday, I was already kind of in the mode. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's been, it's been fascinating. And, um, just coming back to film festivals, talking about film festivals, um, how they all had to adapt this past mm-hmm. year. And, um, I did a few of them and some like did some really cool things that I, you know, it'd be nice to see them integrate some of the stuff that they did. Um, when they do finally go back to being in person, um, I know slam dance, they had a really cool thing where you, uh, they made it very accessible to anyone. So it was, it was a $10 pass and then you could just get the, the channel on, on your Roku and you had basically two weeks to stream all of the, it, all the programming. It's brilliant. And I mean, what I love with, uh, with slam dance too, I've worked on this doc about the Olympic auditorium 19th and grand that uh, a filmmaker friend who was actually a colleague back in the label days, Steve Dubrow made and, um, we had an incredible time with the music, but slam dance, it was supposed to premiere at the Cinerama Dome in LA. They were doing a slam dance in LA, you know, in probably, I think it was March, obviously 2020. Mm -hmm. And they finally got this genius notion, which the one thing I really hope 
keeps going is the drive-in theater boom mm, yeah. and they they premiered it at a drive-in a uh, few weeks back and i heard about that, that yeah. whole side of it you know i didn't grow up with drive-ins i just we'd hear about them and you know they were just so kind of cool to grow a long way from so i hope that kind of kicks in especially for independent film and you know it's obviously limited outlets theatrically for the independent film in general and so the more of that the better i think it will be yeah definitely i talked to some filmmakers and they were you know of course bummed that they couldn't be there in person but their their films got such a wide so many more people got to got to see them um so that was that was pretty exciting um, but yeah, just a little, little offshoot, just something I was, I was thinking about that. I, I really enjoy the slam dance festival this year out of all of the ones that I, that I covered. That was, um, I think they really, really did a good job as far as yeah. um, programming and making it yeah, accessible. They were really imaginative gang of people. And I mean, I was, yeah, look, I'm really, I think we're real grateful to them for all the Olympic auditorium stuff. Yeah. You know, that's no, that's cool. so cool. Um, any any thoughts on writing a memoir? I mean, just like reading your short, but your bio, it was just like it was it was overwhelming. I mean, I'm like, there's so many stories here. I would love to read. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> no. I mean, this this one was as close as you're ever going to touch on that out of me. I think, and I didn't really intend. You know, Denise Hamilton when I met her and basically had become my, you know, real mentor in a way. And it was a chance meeting. And when we first met, she had said to me, oh, I know your name from somewhere. And I'm guessing, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking maybe a film. She was about to do a, a book signing and I'd gone into this the mystery bookshop in Westwood. And we got talking and she used to go to the on club basically. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I felt at that point, oh, I'll tell her I'm going to write a novel. Because I literally just said to her, look, I'm getting ready to write a novel, um, which was Once Upon a Time in L.A. And would you advise classes or a group? And she's like, you need to write a novel. The, go write an on-club novel. I'm like, well, that's not this novel. <laughs> you know, that, I've not really ever thought about doing it, honestly. It was just I, I don't really have an interest in sort of autobiographical stuff particularly Uh um but she helped me so much and with once upon a time in LA when uh you know she'd give me a card at the time and said look if you ever finish the first draft call me and most people don't but good luck you know so I set off didn't get any didn't go to any class just wrote mailed her the manuscript when it was ready and she gave me notes throughout it and really taught me how to finish novels so my sort of thought was after that, the only way to really thank someone for that was to write the one they wanted you to write. <laughs> so I went off and did it. And I'm really grateful for it. Yeah, again, because I would never have written it and I had the best time ever writing it. Yeah. But I think fiction's so much more fun. Mm-hmm. You know, especially, look, you can tell stories about authentic eras, worlds you've touched in a hopefully an interesting way to people that they enjoy and it's authentic and it's true. And, you know, the, the mob characters and all these disparate people that are so much fun to write about, but it's a lot more fun to put it in a fictional setting because you've got freedom then. Right. You can do what you want kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not <laughs> bound by it. And there's people I know like really successful managers and people I've sat and gone, Oh, you've got to write your memoir. And they're always very sensitive, the the good guys, the good women about not 
hurting people or not saying things. And, and I would be the same way. Like, it's not that I've got any axes to grind with people, but in general, you know, it's much more fun to put it in a fictional setting. And I do look, I do, <laughs> I do drop people I know in the book. So they, they, but you know, it's normally in a, hopefully in a way they're okay with. We'll yeah. See. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to write a memoir um, on my life, but I, I'm always, yeah. you don't know how people are going to react to it and take it. It's not know. even that. I just don't, it's not interesting to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I'm sort of, I'd rather, I love fiction. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've got to admit, I'm pretty bad at reading a lot of nonfiction these days. So I'm pretty, um, I'm just looking for great authors to read. And, you know, I certainly, I just, you know, that's where, where my love is really is more yeah. fiction. Yeah. No, that's cool. Um, anything recently you've read that's that's kind of stuck with you that you really enjoyed? Uh, good question. I should have thought about that. You might ask me that. Um, I was reading, um, you know, it's funny because I read, I, I have so much like script type stuff to read. And I do, to be honest, when I'm writing, I try and you know, I always feel like, oh, you could be reading, you could be writing instead, you know, mm -hmm. so I haven't been voracious. So I haven't got a, haven't read a ton of stuff. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Denise Hamilton's, what am I, I can't even believe I almost forgot that, the Speculative Los Angeles compilation, which okay. Denise edited and is an array of authors that are just done speculative versions of LA. She'd had a two-part, noir one that uh, was done over a number of, you know, there've been two of these great LA noir ones that she edited, and this was a speculative one. And it's amazing. I mean, it's cool. a great read for these times. It was all written prior to pandemic, but there's things that resonate outwards from it. Mm -hmm. And there's like her story's amazing, Francesca Leah Block, um, Dwayne Sipsinski. It was just like, it's an array and I shouldn't even, single out people because the whole thing is a great short story read and i don't do a ton of short story books but this one was just really riveting and there's so much imaginative science fantasy stuff in there that it's making me head down that road you know uh -huh. yeah the, the speculative thing got me really interested because i haven't read a lot of it you know really in many many years and mm. i do tend to sort of head towards a lot of mystery stuff as a rule um but um, yeah, I'll have to check that out. That sounds that sounds really cool. Yeah, I um, guarantee you'll love. I mean, yeah. you'll find things in there right from the beginning, and it's it's such a nice range. There's no, there's nothing. All the authors have got such distinct voices that um, I found it really compelling. Yeah, no, I got to check that out for sure. Um, how about turning <clears throat> turning your books into movies? Have you has that ever been on the radar, or doesn't really interest you? Um, yeah, it does interest me now. I didn't really think about it much with the first one. Um, I mean, I don't know if I should say this, but maybe I shouldn't actually, but uh, <laughs> like, well, that vinyl TV series came out soon after my book was published mm -hmm. and I quite honestly found it so off-putting um, that in too. terms of its utter lack of authenticity on every <laughs> level that I was like, I was, I just, I don't know, I just didn't, we didn't, I didn't go out with it. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't try and really do anything with it. Um, this one's different. Um, and I think we are, there are, there's ongoing conversations. That's partly what I've been working on 
during yeah. lockdown. So um, we'll see what happens. But I, yeah, I love the idea of it, you know, and I think the, the hardest thing for me is, and the reason I'd want to do it, even though, you know, it's tough, is that there's so few books, uh, uh, or the, never mind books, so few TV shows or films over the year that really authentically portray the music industry or even youth culture, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? There's so yeah. many things where it just doesn't look right. And, you know, I think not that it was music based, but um, seeing Steve McQueen's series of films on Amazon was really, I mean, a, a amazing, all of them are amazing films. Um, the Lovers Rock one where, which is all, set around a house party have you seen any of these because if you have i i no, i need i mean i've seen a couple of St <clears throat> old steve mcqueen movies but it's been a long time i didn't realize they have a bunch on amazon right now no no that's, that's the contemporary filmmaker steve mcqueen oh oh okay gotcha 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 yeah. no i have i haven't seen yeah, that okay amazing these go check out well just check them out but what yeah. i what i loved about it was and you know they're set they're setting notting hill um, at an era I grew up in and was there periodically. I mean, they're really, you know, they're powerful, tough watches in a lot of ways and kind of heartbreaking a lot of what people, you know, I, it's not for me to speak about his stuff particularly, other than the fact that the authenticity was right there and even the clothes, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you see these things about, you know, I mean, you know, there's movies we could all think of and like, the clothes look too clean, like like people don't, you know, kids didn't look like that. You know what I mean? It's all too yeah. just process looking. So the idea of doing something authentic to me is extremely exciting. And I know it's a real challenge, but I'm I'm definitely excited by the notion of it at the moment. Oh, that would be incredible. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to probably more that. more television, I think, than film particularly mm -hmm. right away, because I think it translates novels translate much better to a slightly longer form yeah be 10 years of it but you know yeah 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 <laughs> no it's so true i mean like i mean i think it's kind of it's a cliche but it's true like so many movies made from books just don't don't seem to work but i but i have noticed a lot of of series in the last five years or so that were based off a book mm -hmm. um that are that are done quite well like i watched um i think it's called bear town it's um it's on HBO, but but that's based off of a book. Um, yeah. and it was done yeah, it was excellent. Queen's Gambit was incredible, right? <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, so much. I mean, look, the, I, the, the, it's definitely seems like a really appealing notion to me to do that. And I yeah. think it, it's clearly been great for many authors uh in recent years. So we'll see. Yeah, no, that's that's exciting. Uh, I am. I hope this isn't a spoiler, but the the <laughs> having Lauren Bacall in in ah, the book that was that was incredible, and it was just you know, that's like exactly how I would picture her. You know, like the real Lauren Bacall, like oh, the, the way you it, wrote her. So I, I was just curious if you ever got to meet her in the past. I did meet her very briefly, although it wasn't at the Dakota in New uh -huh. York, sadly. Um, but, you know, I, I did meet her. She, when her second autobiography came out, she was doing book signings at Maxfield's, which was a boutique, high-end boutique, clothing boutique in LA, which I, you know, just... Only she would do something as cool as that. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, 
And so we did, did get to talk for a little bit. And I just, I just, you know, when, once you've actually, you know, look, obviously I'm projecting a lot of stuff, but I sort of, I try and really, when I use real people in that way, most of the time I've met them, mm-hmm. um, at least, even briefly enough to start to just get a feel and then just try and keep it historically accurate, you know, beyond that. But yeah, she was like, I just couldn't resist, you know. Yeah. No, it was great. It was, it, I loved it. It was oh, great. So <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I've not talked to anyone about it yet. Um, so I'm, I kind of love that you brought it up and no one knows why. Yeah. we're talking about her so it's not a spoiler i think it's just okay little, good yeah no little, it, you know <laughs> no it was it was done well it was it was done well i, yeah, I thought it, was it means great. a lot because i love her so much and certainly all that those films they did together and you know dark passage especially mm-hmm. you know was i mean big sleep i probably watched almost maybe more than any other film in my life actually mm-hmm. in truth um but uh, the dark passage, I, I was just thinking about it, you know, and uh, David Good is another great author, right? And sort of, you know, it's, uh, yeah, great, great stuff. There's so many of those authors and I, you know, there's so much in noir history, you know, film-wise that, you know, it's like, it's almost like soul music. You know, you always think, you know, right at the point you think, oh, I've heard every great song. Yeah. There's always another little gem that no one's seen much or, you know, uh, the uh, Noir Alley and uh, Eddie Muller sort of digs up all the preserves from somewhere. So all yeah. that, all that stuff of it is just, you know, it's just a blast. You know? Right. That's cool. Um, any special, I know, you know, we're still kind of a bit on lockdown. Uh, we're kind of coming out of it, but the book comes out. Um, is it May 11th? It comes yeah, out. Yeah. It's actually the anniversary week of the, when the club opened back in the day. So that was kind of great. Um, oh, wow. Just a coincidence on that. No, well, not exactly. I mean, you know, I, I look, it's just the process of publishers. Obviously, when I'd finished it um, and when um, Tyson had said he liked it and wanted to put it out, obviously, they, they're, you know, they're backed up a year ahead. So I was like, well, can we just go for May because that's the anniversary time? And so that's what we did. And it, in a way, it's sort of, I think, knock on wood, it's working out pretty well. I'm sort of hoping we're gradually coming out of lockdown as it yeah. proceeds, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Um, any any cool events? Any online events? Um, We're set up? talking about things. It's there's nothing set there's things that we're going to do and i keep thinking oh maybe if we wait a beat we'll be able to do some more in person you know yeah. so it's it's i think you know i think that's probably what a lot of people are going through right now with these books that are sort of on the cusp. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look. Trust me, I'll let you know. And I yeah. we we're definitely planning some and uh there's actually uh a non-fiction scar book coming out as well that mark wasserman wrote that's really cool um and has some great stuff attached to it so we may try and do some stuff together because his book's coming out around the same time and uh you know nice that'll be cool yeah that's one thing another you know that's come out of all of this is i you know i've been able to go to a lot of like cool virtual events like right book soup and um yeah. skylight books have been doing some cool author readings and, and q and a's yeah. so it's been it's been really interesting to see bookstores like all over the country doing events i love it yeah i mean look yeah. don't get me wrong it's so it'd be great to go get to places you know i'm, I'm sure. game with, i'll do you know I, i'm excited about this i want to have fun i'd love to do i love the online stuff i mean it has been a a huge sort of just 
plus of this, you know, and the book reading, it's funny when you say book soup, because that is my favorite bookstore. That's yeah. where I did all my favorite book events have been there over the, you know, all these years I've uh -huh. lived here. And that was where we did a really great sort of packed out one for Once Upon a Time in LA, which was truly high point of it. And it was funny because Kathy Valentine from the Go-Go's had a book uh, last year coming out. And I think she was came right around the time when things went into lockdown. And it initially had been booked to be a book soup. And then it obviously had to go online and back around the go, you know, well, she was in a band, the Techstones at the time, but back right before she joined the Go-Go's, we all live around the corner of Book Soup, you know, just down the block in this apartments. And I was like, oh, I feel so bad for her not getting to do it there. And then I went on the Zoom and there was 600 people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you aren't getting any 600. Yeah, you know, I think we packed about 80 people into Book Soup and that was probably, yeah, you know, I mean, it was crazy. So... I, I'm just, look, I, the, the online of it is a joy to me as well. I just, I'd like to get some in person. You nothing can't, right yeah, you can't replace person. a person. I think it's like, it, it's just a, at least they're doing something. And it is cool that people from all over the world can tune in if they want to. Yeah, um, I mean, it's been amazing. The Academy has had these incredible conversations with, they had one with Vim vendors that just, came right at the, one of the worst points of the lockdown. And it was such an inspiring guy. And I'd never heard him speak before. And no one would have been doing that stuff mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, and you wouldn't, you know, you just wouldn't have seen it. So there's been a lot of art, the, you know, great artist stuff. There's I, the book signing thing, the book reading thing has been great because I can check in on the Brooklyn library or whatever they're up to and different places. Yeah. I love it. Love yeah. It. No, I hope they like, they, they, they keep, once we finally go back to in-person, you know, we can still have that online component. It'd be kind of cool to, um, you know. I really hope so. Like, I mean, look, I live in a fairly remote spot of LA really. So it's, it opens up a lot of things to me that perhaps wouldn't get seen otherwise, truthfully. Even if yeah. Yeah. Are you in Malibu? Yeah. You're in Malibu. How, how long have um, you been living out there? Um, since the, in the, since the early nineties, Great. Yeah. I love Malibu. It's such a, yeah, it's a, it's like a haven away from <laughs> when you get sick of Hollywood and LA, it's just such a, such a beautiful, beautiful yeah, spot. It's a good balance. It's a good balance. You know, I mean, actually I like it as a writing spot. Some people can and can't. I've had conversation with filmmakers. Like, why do you, I'm always trying to get people I like to live. I'm like, why do you live here? You know, um, you know, one one filmmaker friend could write here and the other one who I didn't win the conversation to get them to move here was like, <laughs> she's like I could never write here. It's too beautiful. I just sit looking out at, you know, the ocean. <laughs> like, well. <laughs> but no, I love it. I, I do like that clarity of it, but it's a bit removed, you know, that's, mm -hmm. the, that's there's pluses and minuses to it. Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. What was it? How about, um, I do like asking just like, cause it seems like we have similar tastes. I am just kind of curious, like, uh, um, you know, any good movies or TV shows that you've been, or, um, yeah. I mean, film wise, I think Judas and the black Messiah. Yeah, that was great. Um, been a lot of TV. I did a lot of, um, you know, because I missed the, where I wanted to be in South America, I just dived into a lot of that. And the genius thing about the Netflix of the world, especially Netflix, I think is they have so much great content. So 
Armando Bose, El Presidente. Okay. Um, which I, that actually, actually might be on Amazon, but it's, uh, it's really a football soccer thing, but it, it's a kaleidoscope, brilliant, fast, true story, just amazing, amazing stuff. Um, we already talked about Queen's Gambit. I was hooked on this Netflix show that's just coming to an end that I can't quite bring myself to watch the end of it called Call My Agent, which is about the French film business. Okay, um, I hear, yeah, I've seen that pop up on my feed. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Really, I mean, you get really hooked by the second season. They're doing so many. It must have been popular in France because suddenly all these iconic actors for the uh, for the three seasons, the disparate women and men who come on playing themselves in a kind of self-deprecating ways. It's brilliant. I mean, love love that show. Um, Actually, I feel that like it's been a real plus of lockdown because I don't normally <laughs> as much as I do now. And yeah. It's been some great series rolling through, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, anything else you want to say about the book? Um, really, really excited for people to read it and for it to come yeah, out. Yeah, just just that the Spotify soundtrack's meant to be played loud and listened alongside. Oh, nice. so there you go. Oh, that's incredible! I'll put I'll put a link to that when I when I post this. That's, that's oh, really thank cool. you. Yeah, it's yeah. um, you know, it, it's definitely um, and it's sequential, so you could if you wanted to. Oh, that's that's a brilliant idea. That's so cool. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm going to, I'm going to add that on. That's so, I wish I had known about that before. That's so cool. That's such a great idea. Yeah. But you got one, there's one on once upon a time in LA too. So you can always do it on. Oh, cool. I'll do that. That's, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, that's one thing I do with the, um, the book that I'm writing. I kind of have like a, I have a playlist that I constantly add to. And so if I'm kind of stuck at something. I'll just go take my dog for a walk and listen to the playlist and it kind of gets me in the in the vibe of the of the characters and the book. So I found that to be pretty helpful. Yeah. I will say one other thing if we've got time. Sure. Is that there is a Once Upon a Time in LA audiobook, which is what we were working on during lockdown. I'd done most of the I narrated the first one. Oh, and cool. um, the actress Catherine Ross kindly who'd loved the book, kindly did the a number of the women's voices and a actress friend, uh, Andrea Suarez-Paz. We hooked her up in Brooklyn. She recorded the, the Mexico section of it for us, which she probably not got to yet. And that's, I'm super excited about. We had an absolute blast with it. Nate Heller, who is a composer who's done all of Mari Heller's films. We've all worked on them together. The Diary of a Teenage Girl and Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Can You Forgive Me? He does produce audio books too. So he was been, we'd done the recording. He'd been editing it during lockdown. So my little drives out, I would yeah. get like a 30 second, 30 minute bit of it, but we had the best time. I love audio books. I just, yeah, I do too. I do too. I I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pick that up today just because I have, I have some credits hanging out. It's not out yet. We haven't, it's not out. Oh, yet. Okay. Um, we're, we're sort of working on the distribution, but um, okay. That's that sounds so cool. gang of of hooked up. Then we're doing there's a there's a, there's a really good English narrator doing top rankings, so that should be out. I imagine probably somewhere around when the book comes. Hopefully, excellent. Well, um, Howard, thank you so much for taking the Likewise. time. It was really a treat to to get to meet you in person. I love the book. I'm definitely a fan. So I am um, gonna definitely keep an eye out for um, you know stuff that comes 
comes out in the future. Um, May 11th, everyone can pick up a copy of, of Top Rankin and highly suggest that you do. Um, thanks so much, Howard. It was it was a real pleasure talking with you. Likewise, I love what you're up to too, and I'm so, I love the multifaceted aspect of what you do. I'm thank you. Podcasts, and I'll uh, definitely, uh, hopefully, we get to cause more trouble along the way. I would love it. Yeah. So let's uh, let's definitely keep in contact. I'd love to have you. I mean, I think we could probably talk. <laughs> yeah, we could probably de- definitely bore people after a while. So I think. <laughs> I mean, I'd get bored, but you know what I mean? It's like, I, I could, yeah, we could go on for much longer. So, yeah. We'll do, it, we'll do it off end. We could yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, great. Yeah, let's keep in contact. And um, thank you again so um, for being so flexible and and oh. um, just being being great. It was a lovely conversation. I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Thanks, mate. Really okay. appreciate it. Okay, take care. Thank you.